1: There were times where literally there were gunshots at the park down the street and then here comes the car that was shooting by the park and, you know, there were guys laying, you know, you had to lay down on the field until the, you know, until the car that was screeching down at the park got past, and then you could resume practice.
2: Welcome in to the Mighty Oregon Podcast presented by Pepsi. I'm Rob Mosley. Oregon baseball coach Mark Wazakowski has seen it all on a baseball diamond. The highs and lows. And if you ask him, his ability to accept those moments came from the tough love and discipline he got from his parents. I didn't grow up in a generation where you
1: asked too many questions. (laughs) The answer was because I said so. And you just wore that, you dealt with it, and that's just what was normal.
2: Those core lessons learned in his life helped him overcome adversity in his early college days and eventually led to winning a national championship at Pepperdine. Wasikowski was a throwback player for the Waves who was tough, disciplined, and showed no fear.
1: The way I played was the way it was taught and that was just, that's what you did. And so I don't know if it, it
2: wasn't like a credit to how I played, it's just the way the game was played. After initially wanting to work on Wall Street, Wasikowski instead chose coaching and after a winding coaching journey, which included being an assistant coach with Oregon, he was named the head coach of the Ducks in 2019. The pitch is ground, butt out to short. Armstrong knocks it down, picks it up, hurries
0: the throw to first, not in time, and the Ducks win it.
2: Wasikowski has his Ducks playing with his throwback mentality, and the team is excelling. There are expectations across the board for the department, and he wants to live up to his end of the bargain.
1: It's our obligation to find people that understand that this is a place that expects first place. This place expects national championships and competing for it. And so in order to do that, how, how does that look? And you, you gotta nail things, not just on that ball field, but you gotta nail things with
2: character. So you're, you're a California kid originally. Describe the, the, the area you grew up in and kind of what your earliest memories of home life were like growing up as a kid.
1: Uh, I think I had a good home life. It was a nice, uh, modest area. You know, my dad was—he uh, was the breadwinner in the house. My mom stayed at home with my sister and I, and my dad was a businessman. He was always on the road. He was a hardworking guy, really hardworking guy, and so was my mom. And there was. It was awesome. My dad was always my coach. He was always my sister's coach. My sister played baseball, not just softball, but baseball. She was the only girl in the Pony League to play baseball, and she was on the All-Star team. She was really, for me, she was somebody that was inspirational because she did things that, especially then, people did not accept. She dealt with a lot of stuff, negative stuff about being a girl trying to do things in boys' sports. And not only was she doing it, but she was doing it really well, and it it was just fun. It was fun to see the fact that she spread her wings and had the courage to be able to, despite what people were telling her to do, stick with softball, you know, this is a boys' sport, what are you doing? And she still did it and did it so well. That was fun, my dad encouraged her, my mom encouraged her. The sports were always in our house, and it was just, a You know, it's just kind of how we gathered as a family.
2: Why baseball? Did your dad play when he was growing up?
1: Not so much. I love playing baseball.
2: You know, from the time I
1: was a little guy, I know my grandpa was a huge baseball fan. My dad was a huge baseball fan. They played, but they played just at the high school level and nothing professionally or bloodlines and all that kind of stuff. Just big fans. Every weekend, the TV was on, and it was, you know, game of the week. It was this week in baseball. It was mellow. You know, I mean, it was, it was the uh, Vince Scully, you know, in Los Angeles. You know, my dad taking me to watch all-star games, you know, at Anaheim Stadium. He took me to World Series games with the Dodgers when, you know, it was Say, it was Garvey, it was, you know, Lopes, it was Bill Russell you know, on the crew for the Dodgers. It was just a lot of fun. That's what we did. It's how we connected as a family.
0: Got him. They've done it. Like the 1969 Mets.
2: It's the impossible... You grew up in a beach town, right? Uh, beach town, but not on the beach. Okay. But yeah. Well, what kind of presence did that have in your life? I mean, any kind of a stereotypical Southern California lifestyle that way?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I surfed. Uh, I was in the water most mornings and that was fun. I wasn't great at it, you know, I wasn't great at it, but it was just fun. It was relaxing. It was, it was a challenge. And I, it was one of the things that I was really not good at at all. And so it was, it was fun to try to get better at it. And it was a deal where I had to overcome some fears because when you get out there and not in sharks and stuff, but in just this, the size of waves. And when you have your you know, your first few wipeouts, and, and not only that, but then when you, you know, feel like you're going to drown when you're paddling out and stuff like that, it, you know, it tests you and you, you sit there and go, wow, okay, this is, this is new, this is not easy, and, and you got to fight through it a little bit. I definitely was not great at it.
2: At what age are you starting to kind of maybe stand out amongst your peers in baseball? And, and start to feel like that's something that could come to dominate your life?
1: Well, I don't know about dominate my life, but I knew that I was good from early on. You know, I was it was fortunate. We worked a lot. My dad and I, we worked a lot. I was always outside. It, it wasn't a, a deal where when you pitched the day before, you know, the next day I was outside. It, there, I had circles on my garage door, and there were three circles and a handle. You know, this is before we had automatic garage door openers and you know, we pulled into the driveway in your car and, you know, your dad kicked you out of the car and it was your job to lift the garage door up as soon as you got big enough to do it. Well, the good thing about the, the handle in the garage door was it was in the middle of the circle. And so whenever the ball, the tennis ball that you'd throw against this garage door and wake all the neighbors up and piss them <laughs> off. But whenever you threw the ball, the goal was obviously to throw it in the circle or in the square beneath the circle, which would have been basically the strike zone, low strike. But if you hit the handle, then the ball would carry them into the rose bushes. And so you'd get a tennis ball with thorns in it, and you'd have to chase it in the rose bushes. So you learn to get it out of the middle of the zone, you know, as a pitcher. You, <laughs> yeah. you learn command, you learn field of the ball. And it wasn't a time where, you know, after we pitched or let's say you threw a complete game the day before, well, you were still out there probably that night throwing a ball against the garage door or definitely the next day. And you just, that's just how you did it. And so you threw and you threw a lot. The career part of it, you know, I, I think just from an early age, I knew I'd be good at baseball. I didn't know how good, and it wasn't like we had plans of let's try to get a scholarship or, you know, that, that kind of thinking wasn't prevalent back then. It was just we were playing, and you were trying to win games.
2: You were on a Little League team that was pretty successful.
1: Yeah, so it was Bronco World Series. Jeez, I think it was 11 years old, 11, 12 years old. And we won the Bronco World Series in St. Joseph's, Missouri. We beat uh, Puerto Rico to win that World Series. It was really competitive, and uh, it was great. The focus was always just strictly on winning and competing. And then making sure, I remember probably one of the bigger ass I ever got from my old man was when I was disrespectful to a uh, teammate or selfish or talk back to umpires. Oh, that, that, was, that didn't end well for me. I really I still to this day thank my father for his firmness, uh, his discipline and uh, you know I love the fact I didn't at, I didn't at the time but I love the fact that there were there was accountability to a set of rules there were fair rules and you just knew you, you, you were held accountable to it and there were no questions asked.
2: There's a right way to play the game. There's
1: a right way to play the game, there's a right way to act and that was his bigger thing is there's just a the right way to act as a person.
2: You end up playing in high school with some pretty talented guys, right? Being in these climates, you're on a little league team that goes and wins a a title against teams from around the world. Talk a little bit about the the, the colleagues you have in high school and just how is this impacting you playing at a consistently high level with consistently high level teammates?
1: Well, it was a lot of fun, you know, and I didn't really know what the heck we had when we were in high school and that's saying this much so people that were around us that were big names uh tony muser senior you know his son tony muser junior uh one year older and tony senior obviously big time player major league player major league manager hitting coach and he was the guy that basically hung around the batting cage every day you know he was there every sunday he took us to hit anybody wanted to show up wasn't like he was charging money for lessons he just if anybody wanted to get better at baseball Tony Muser Sr. was the guy that was there and he was did it exceptionally well at a high level Dick Nen, uh Rob Nen was a former teammate of mine he was a couple years older you know and Rob ironically didn't even play much in high school he played left field you know and he ended up having a potentially a hall of fame type career as a closer for the Giants uh, amongst others and you know, Dick was his father, you know, Dodger and, and just a longtime major leaguer. And then just on that high school team, to be able to have guys like Rob Katsaroff, who was a perennial All-American center fielder at UCLA, uh, J.T. Snow. You know, when it comes to, you know, J.T., the, the Snow family, big-time athletic family, Jack Snow, football player with the, with the Rams, and J.T. was first baseman, and he was Mr. Everything in high school. And so Greg Perkle, second round draft pick catcher, you know, I mean, it, it was such a thick list of people that just were on the same high school team and humbling as well, because I, I wasn't the best guy, not even, not even close. There were plenty of other guys that were plenty better than I was.
2: Staying healthy has never been more important. And if you're like me, you're looking for any opportunity to boost your immune system and your overall health. For almost 40 years, Quantum Health has been bringing high-quality natural products to every corner of the U.S. and Canada. From leading cold sore treatments, the first USDA organic cough drops, cutting-edge eye health supplements, and much more, Quantum Health has your family's health needs covered. With over 60 science-based products on the market today, Quantum Health continues to help you look and feel your best. Look for their top selling products like their immune supporting TheraZinc lozenges or their market leading Lip Clear Lysine Plus cold sore treatment in your favorite natural product store or at Fred Meyer, Rite Aid, Amazon, and most other major retailers. Quantum Health was founded and is headquartered right here in Eugene, Oregon and is proud to sponsor the Oregon Ducks.
0: Next bit to swung on and hit into right center field, sinking for a base hit. Rounding third and coming to the plate is Maine. He's going to score, going to second base on the play is Mark Wazakowski, and it's two nothing Pepperdine.
2: At what point you, David, does the idea of playing in college start to become a reality? You know that, that, that this is a game you could you could play beyond high school, and and what's like recruiting look like back then?
1: It didn't exist yeah. for me. You know, I wasn't I wasn't a standout star. I was good, not great. You know, I'd make the whatever the all area teams and playing some all-star games and stuff like that. I went on a recruiting trip to UCLA, went on a couple other recruiting trips to San Jose State and some other small schools, and then uh, just playing Connie Mack baseball. I guess there was probably a week when the University of Hawaii coaches came out and we were watching Connie Mack baseball at Blair Field, in Long Beach. It's a historic field. Long Beach State plays there still to this day. And You know, must have had a good week. They called me and they offered me a huge scholarship. My dad gave me the advice to say, well, you know, the biggest scholarship is where you should go. Probably the worst advice I ever got, you know, and I'd tell him that to his face, (laughs) Uh, you know, and it was the biggest scholarship and I took it and I went there and great people in Hawaii, but it just, you know, it was missing some things that I was looking for and specifically the winning component.
2: Yeah, it wasn't the right fit because you left after what, one year?
1: After one year, and I I was a starter at the beginning of the year. I was probably in and out of the lineup throughout the year and ended up being probably more of a regular player than not my first year. But it really wasn't a situation where I was unhappy with the guys on the team. I love them. To this day, every time I go to Hawaii, I mean, it's awesome to see the guys and my ex-teammates. And all the other guys that I played Connie Mack baseball with went to Pepperdine to play for Coach Lopez. And... You know, we didn't have cell phones and all the tech to stay connected with it, but you just heard from guys periodically about how much they were enjoying it and the winning culture and how they were moving towards regionals and and the College World Series, and and that wasn't discussed where I was at.
2: You mentioned Coach Lopez, and he ends up playing this huge, having this casting this huge shadow over over your career as a player and a coach, like when did he first enter your life? When's the first time in your baseball career that you encountered him?
1: Well, first contact I had with Pepperdine was through Bill Springman. He was Coach Lopez's hitting coach and his recruiting coordinator. And Coach Springman got a hold of me in high school and watched me and just told me I wasn't ready and I needed to go to junior college. Of course, I didn't listen to him. I went to Hawaii on a scholarship and I thought that was the right decision. springman was the first guy that was honest with me and he told me point blank was you're you're not good enough you need to go to a junior college and you know you can accept a scholarship somewhere but you're not good enough right now to really excel at this level and like most young players i probably took that as a little bit of a of a challenge and an attack and felt wronged or whatever
2: rather than constructive criticism he was right
1: he was spot on and so as i left hawaii I got in touch with Coach Springman, and I said, basically, you were right. you know. And he said, well, what I think you ought to do is I think you ought to go play for this guy at Santa Ana Community College. It was Rancho Santiago Community College. It's the middle, middle of Santa Ana, not what people think of Orange County. It, it's in Orange County, but it's one of the rougher places in Orange County, and it's not the glitz and glamour place at all. And so I went, wow, Santa Ana, really? I mean, there were some really nice junior colleges around me, and I really wasn't all that excited about junior college. I thought I was better than that even after I got humbled. But I still listened to him this time, and I said, yeah, I'm going to listen to this guy, because last time I didn't.
2: And you, you at least had gained enough wisdom at that point in your life. Even though you're still young, you'd gained enough wisdom to say, all right, I don't need, I better not make the same mistake twice.
1: For sure. And so I did. And I remember just walking in going, wow, this is a lot different. There, there are no facilities, there, there's nothing. I really felt like, boy, if I'm gonna do this, I know I'm really, I'm going to the bottom of the deal. That was my mind. And it still wasn't the bottom of the barrel. There's plenty lower
2: places. Sure. It's positive experience? Did you get out of that what you needed at that point in your life?
1: I did. And I've told the story before, but I remember my first day walking out to the field still thinking, even though I was humbled at the level I was, Still, with some sort of ignorance or arrogance or however you want to describe it, I walked out to that baseball field and I thought I was going to be the guy. And I remember getting in the car that night, driving home, and going, wow. I remember sitting in my car for about 15 minutes after I got in it. And
2: this is after your first practice? This
1: is after first practice, first, just the whole deal. I knew I wasn't in the top 10 players on that field. There was a kid named Raul Rodarte who was just a freak. There were so many good players. And I remember going, "Oh my god, I'm not I'm not even going to start at the junior college. Like I'm not close."
2: So how much did you progress? I mean, cuz ultimately you get where you want to go. You end up at Pepperdine playing for Coach Lopez, right? Playing with those guys that, you know, some of the guys you'd grown up with. What did you do in that year of junior college to to make that a reality?
1: Well, I mean, you did, you know, it was constant training. It was it was a work ethic that, ironically, Mr. Mister Muser used to tell us about, you know, and, and he used to tell us we didn't have the work ethic needed and he was right. And so you just tried to, you were just, listening to coaches now and saying okay what do I got to do you're really a sponge at that point because you realize you're you're not very good you're in an area where the 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 field there was it was a nice field but it was not the night a nice area there were times where literally there were gunshots at the park down the street and then here comes the car that was shooting by the park and you know there were guys laying you know you had to lay down on the field until the you know, till the car that was screeching down at the park got past, and then you can resume practice.
2: Like a drive-by shooting would happen near where you were practicing. Yeah, and that's just that was Tuesday. Yeah,
1: you know that's just what happened on Tuesday, Jeez. and it might happen on Wednesday or Thursday as well. And you didn't get issued anything. I think we got an issued pair of pants. I think, and the pants had holes in them, and it was, but they were gray, and we matched. You know, the different colors are gray, but we all had some kind of gray pant. And then when we got our first T-shirt, I remember that was a big deal. Like, we got a T-shirt that had our school name on it, and it was red. And we were like, whoa, man, this is this is awesome.
2: Are you having to, like, fundraise for yourselves at this point, anything like that?
1: No, you paid for it. Okay. And my dad at the time told me, you know, if you leave Hawaii on that scholarship, you know, anything that you do from here on out it's out of your own pocket. So I got a job. I was a boss boy. You know, it was reality. Yeah. And so, yeah, you really did value anything that you had at that point in time. You didn't get spikes issued to you, you didn't get any gloves or any glove contracts. It was an interesting time. But, you know, I think what happened was I got better as a player. I don't think I got to a point where I was a freak or anything like that. There were a couple of scholarship offers. I uh, had a big scholarship offer to Oklahoma. Uh, they actually offered a huge scholarship. and. I just knew that it wasn't about money the second time through. And I, ironically, I took a, the offer at Pepperdine. I didn't get any money. It was a walk-on spot. And there were probably three other offers where there was big money, and Oklahoma being one of them, and they were really good. Uh, they were an Omaha team, ironically, when I got to Pepperdine. But I took the walk-on spot at Pepperdine, and I said, no, this isn't going to be about money. This is going to be about where I think the best place is for development and the right reasons. Uh, And that's why I
2: went there. So people think Pepperdine, though they're thinking Malibu and beaches and sunny California and this glamorous lifestyle. But you're going there as a walk-on kid who's got to have a job to pay his tuition in order to keep himself playing baseball? Yeah, I
1: took out $76,000 in loans. Wow. Dad wasn't happy about it. Yeah. Didn't really care. I just said, you know, I'd live the other side of it. And, hey, I, it probably didn't have a value of what money really
2: was anyways. Sure.
1: And so when I took that kind of money out in loans, it wasn't that much to begin with, and it grew like most student loan stuff does. Yeah.
2: When you're in Hawaii as a freshman, what you want is team success. So to go to Pepperdine and then to go to Omaha, mm-hmm. just how fulfilling was that? To kind of set yourself a goal, make some hard decisions, that don't pay off immediately but pay off in the end how fulfilling was that?
1: It was really rewarding it wasn't easy because even after the fall at Pepperdine, my end of the fall meeting with Coach Lopez, he looked at me across the table and just said hey I hope your fall went well I mean, it was it was about a minute to two minute meeting and there were other players that were in there for a long time, was, I got a minute or two and he just looked at me and said hey I hope you enjoyed your fall you haven't earned any playing time if you want to come back after the christmas break you know great you can come back so you're
2: not you're not in the plans
1: yeah he just said so i'll look forward to you know seeing whatever you decide to do do you have any questions that was it that was my meeting and i mean i just remember sitting there going oh wow okay no i don't have any other questions and i walked out of that office and i just remember going if this is going to work like yeah, I thought I'd really started turning the corner with work ethic through the junior college experience and all that kind of stuff. But it was real clear to me that, no, nah, you you haven't gotten there yet, kid. And if you're going to get there, you, you still got to put in a lot more. And so, you know, yeah, coming back and then, you know, my first start at Pepperdine had nothing to do with infield. All I'd ever played in my whole life was shortstop or third base. And I'd hit so well in the sp- – Spring scrimmages that Coach Lopez the day before uh, the season opened said, came to me and said have you ever played any outfield and I looked at him and I said absolutely <laughs> and so he started me in left field and I don't know about the fifth inning or so I got moved into third base and then I started there I, uh, the rest of my career at Pepperdine and very rewarding obviously the end of the trail was a national championship that was back before Super Regionals showed up and we got sent as the number three team in the country we didn't have lights at Pepperdine we weren't going to host but we were ranked in the top all year we were number three in the country going into regionals went to the Tucson regional and ironically had to beat Hawaii twice in the championship game to go to Omaha and so that was a little extra for me
2: it's great for that program because they're you know it's not, they they did manage to turn that corner and experience some success but you still wanted to beat them
1: well for sure, and you know, it was just more. There was more on the line. There was no bitterness.
2: Yeah, you had no sport. hard feelings when you left there, right? No, but still, it was probably some guys you recognized. And
1: oh yeah, yeah. roommates pitching Scott Carl on the mound, big leaguer with the Brewers. You know, he was my roommate. They were all there, you know, and so it was. It was just more. It was a little extra, and then we ended up winning, going to Omaha, and then we won the four games we played in Omaha, and won the national championship, and it was just an awesome feeling.
2: Rodriguez and Rodriguez has it. You're a guy that liked physical play, whatever sport you're playing. And my mind immediately goes to the collision at home plate in the, in the College World Series that became kind of this iconic photo. And the big collision at the plate. He's tagged out. Wow, we're going to get an argument here. Wasikowski. Is that how you play the game? I mean, talk us through that moment and how iconic that became. Did that also just kind of fit how you played the game at that point in your life?
1: Um, Yeah, but that was normal then. You watched Pete Rose in the All-Star game when he took out the catcher. You know, people say that's a cheap shot now with Ray Fossey. ended the guy's career. You know, back then they were playing to win that game. There was was so much more on the line just to win. It wasn't a showcase environment. Yeah, the way I played was the way it was taught, and that was just that's what you did. And so I don't know if it – it wasn't like a credit to how I played. It's just the way the game was played. Um, and so that was a reality.
2: Championship game, right? You're against Fullerton. Mm-hmm. You go, you barrel over a catcher, you end up flipping over. You're, you get called out? Get called out. Mm-hmm. Erroneously, some people say now to this day still.
1: Yeah, I mean, the flipping over the catcher uh, when the collision happened, wasn't part of the plan, but hand lands on the plate. And there's pictures to, to verify it and everything. It doesn't matter. ball goes past the catcher. At the time of the collision, he was just protecting himself because the ball hadn't gotten to the plate yet. And I guess in modern day, he would be called for uh, obstruction, but blocking the plate without the ball kind of stuff. Right. Well, back then, you know, again, the, there was no obstruction. The catcher's job was, as a catcher, you stood there. You didn't take your mask off. You stood there. You got in front of the plate. And it was the runner's job. It was uh, it was the ultimate, you know, man versus man right. moment <laughs> right. in baseball. And it, that guy stood in front of the plate. His job was to make sure you didn't get there, and your job as a runner was to get there. So he protected himself. I flipped over, hand hit the plate. I go over the top. Uh, the pitcher backing up the play catches the ball, comes up, tags me. Umpire rewards the out. You know, there was no video stuff. And, hey, the call was made. Didn't go your way. Wear it. Deal with it. You know, and and that's that's just kind of how it went.
2: You know, there are a couple of must-haves for me whenever I go to a game. One of those things is an ice-cold Pepsi. Thankfully, the good folks at Bigfoot Beverages make sure I never have trouble finding one. They're the industry leader in beverage distribution throughout coastal, western, and central Oregon since 1947. The Bigfoot Beverages family has served the great state of Oregon by providing unmatched customer service, cultivating the best team in the industry, offering the strongest portfolio products, and by consistently being there for their customers and community when needed. Oh, and they're also longtime proud supporters of Oregon athletics. Learn more about them at BigfootBeverages.com.
1: for 20 years of my life uh, i worked for three hall of fame coaches uh, that have won a total of three national championships Four, if you include the one that coach horton won as an assistant coach
2: you play for coach lopez you wrap up your career you win the ultimate prize in college baseball at that point is coaching in your future i mean is he talking to you like hey i want you to work for me someday
1: yes and no not like as let's get you to get into coaching he basically said so i got drafted in the 35th round my senior year and i went in and i asked him i said coach i just want to know your opinion he hadn't he hadn't given me bad information yet everything he's told me wasn't necessarily cheap because you know it, it cost some money he did put me on scholarship my senior year to to lessen the financial burden which i really appreciated and he told me he'd do that in advance if i had earned it but still with coach lopez um I went in, I said, hey, 35th round by the Brewers. The late Art Sherman drafted me. Hey, would, uh, what do you think? And he goes, if it's in your heart, do it. If not, then don't do it and come back and, and get your college degree from Pepperdine. And I just saw that as an opportunity. I said, shoot, I'm probably not going to get my college degree quick enough. And I didn't want to be late getting into life. I always felt like I was late because the credits didn't transfer and I'm just behind. I didn't want the feeling of behind in life and probably because I'd been humbled so much before as a player I knew there was a chance sure I could play my way and make it to the big leagues the chance would have been extremely light and at that point I I was at peace with my playing career and I took coach's advice and I said yeah I think you're right and he said yeah I'd do this uh after I did that he said I asked him again I said what do you you know got my degree there he said I said what do you think now and he it was the first time he pushed me into coaching. I was thinking I wanted to go to Wall Street and be on stocks, uh, you know, be a broker and make some money and get in that little bit of a rat race. And he told me, no, I think what you need to do is, I, th- I think what would be great for you is to go to get a teaching credential, secondary teaching credential, and do that for the next two years. And I mean, the last thing I wanted to do was teach. I did not want to go and teach in high school, but I said, okay, and I did, and I went, and I, Started getting a teaching credential at Long Beach State. Why'd you say yes? I just trusted in the guy. Yeah, he'd been good to me, and I just felt like, man, the last time I went against his advice, I regretted it. Yeah, and I felt like he was genuine. He cared.
2: You experienced a College World Series in two thousand four as a coach. How's that experience different as a coach than it is as a player? I just think
1: you enjoy it for your team. You enjoy it for the players so much, you know, and you want them to experience what you were able to as a player.
2: That's obviously where you want to get your Oregon program to. Yeah, so what 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 does it mean to, to help lead a group of men there instead of being one of those guys that is led there?
1: Well, I haven't done it yet. Yeah. And so But you, know, but, you
2: but you did as an assistant. And so how, you know what it what did you take from that experience? What did you appreciate that about that experience?
1: It's just, you know, that's what you're shooting for. You know, there's only one happy team at the end of the year, real happy team. You know, people can feel accomplished and like goals have been met, but there's one real champion at the end of the year. I want people to experience that. I know what it's like to be on top of the pile, and that can never be taken away. Uh, no matter what sport you watch, you watch these championships and you just see the celebration and the, and the enthusiasm, and especially now coming out of coronavirus, to see the joy in people is really something that's a real drive for me, is is, is just to see people enjoying life again. Student-athletes enjoying relationships and inter- interaction again, which I would be guilty just like I would guess a lot of people in the world. I took it for granted. I didn't really enjoy the daily interaction with student-athletes, the daily just enjoying the successes and the failures, but just the process of being around young people and just seeing how it can impact them is more now, after having gone through what we've gone through than ever before for me. And just, it's been a lot of fun. And these kids now, it, there's different, different stresses that are hitting them. You know, I mean, their parents dealt with the whole issues that we're talking about, all these
2: issues. You're talking about the social justice elements of it, yeah. Yeah,
1: that and coronavirus, you know, just the whole thing. The whole, the, the interesting 2020 landscape. Yeah, you know. And so, when you put all that stuff out in front of them, the bottom line is is stress. There's been so much weight on them, and so to be able to to see them have a release, to be able to see them have something to grab onto. And best yet, to have something to grab onto with others, you know, the team aspect of it. And, you know, there, there's a debate on safety and is it safe to have stadiums full and this, that, and the other. And I don't know those answers. Uh, I'll, I'll take it for the experts that say safety, and, and I'm all for it. I know this much. I do know that the interaction that the athletes have had It's been so productive. And the lack of interaction, we saw such negative things come from it. And so as safety allows, boy, are we excited to be able to really see these kids interact and interact more. You know, my family and I took the job here at Purdue. We let Coach Horton uh, know who we've been in touch with quite a bit through the process.
2: how many head coaching opportunities had come up over the years, and why was Purdue the right one at, the right, at that time? I wasn't
1: leaving for anything other than a Power 5 head coaching, you know a good Power 5 head coaching position that I felt like they were invested in winning. And so anything that was a non-Power 5, it doesn't matter uh, how many came up or which ones, the answer was no.
2: Your second year at Purdue, you, you, you have a 13-game winning streak late in the year. You make it to the postseason. What was, what was part of the formula there? I mean, what 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 was the identity of that team? What did you what did, what did you hit on? How did you do it so quickly?
1: Don't really know. It was more of a a, a chemistry in the locker room kind of thing that propelled it. You know, we were a five hundred ball club, which you know after the the first year we ended up making big waves and turning things around. Second year we show up and we were five hundred ball club, and there was one moment in that season that was a uh, a kid named Landon Griffith. Um, who was just a, a young kid in the, in the uh, West Lafayette, and that's you know the town that, that Purdue's in there in Indiana, a young kid named Landon Griffith. He was a kid that was in our camps during Christmas break, as early as the previous Christmas break, healthy, running around, the whole deal. And this Landon Griffith kid comes out, we're playing in Indiana. That's our in-state rival. We're playing a home game. It's packed and it's it's a it's a great environment beautiful night well this this kid's getting wheeled out on the field in a wheelchair and i didn't connect the dots at that time i didn't know who the heck this was i knew the name but i hadn't connected that this was the kid that literally a couple months ago was we were working with in camp he had a blood disorder show up and it literally this kid now is is wilting away and he's on our field he he and his family were a ceremonial first pitch. So anyways, this kid's on the field. He does the first pitch. We take pictures with him, and, and the production piece of that happens. Great ball game. It ends up getting a little cool at night, kind of like it does in Eugene, but still great ball game. We end up winning the ball game by a run late in the game, exciting deal. Well, this kid Landon Griffith uh, about the sixth inning when it starts getting cold. His mom asks him, "Hey son, do you want? To, you know, are you are you ready? You know?" And he says, "No, I'm staying. I want to stay for this. This means the world." <laughs> the kid stays. We end up winning the game. The next day he passes. Whew. Heavy.
2: Yeah. Heavy. But it galvanized your group.
1: Well, yeah. The next week, I mean, you know, all of us are funerals and viewings, and I mean, whoa, we go from playing baseball to real life yeah, yeah. and whew, you know to this day it's it, it's it's emotional yeah you know that really did that was the, it, it brought us together we were kind of a splintered group at times competing against each other and it wasn't a real good togetherness and I do believe that just the 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 reality of what life is all about hit us and Turned that season into a season where we were the number two seed at a regional in North Carolina and winning games in regional and the whole deal, and it was quite a story, but it was because real life really got into all of our hearts. It tore our team up. You know, I mean, we got to see this young fellow on Wednesday at our own park, uh, tore our team up.
2: How do experiences like that, impact you now you're the head coach at Oregon in terms of the character of the program the character of the players you want in it and kind of what you want this program to be about
1: let's start with Oregon itself Oregon itself is is awesome the representation of Oregon with you know Phil Knight's commitment to the athletic department the excellence of Nike with relationship to Oregon it's a special place my wife and my kids for years have said it's so much fun to be a duck it's just different here yeah And it's something as we, you know, are here every day, we all know it and and we feel that and we understand that. And people on the outside, once they get in it, get to know it. It's our obligation to, whether it's the University of Oregon, Rob Mullins, who's in charge, you know, uh, any, the community, which is such a neat little community here with Eugene, all the way through Nike's excellence. It's our obligation to find people that understand that this is a place that expects first place. This place expects national championships and competing for it. And so in order to do that, how, how does that look? And you, you got to nail things, not just on that ball field, but you got to nail things with character. The community cares here. They're, they're not going to really rally around a bunch of arrogant athletes. Yeah. They want to see people that have perspective and value in community. We specifically think that this program should be built with local people, with people in the footprint of the Northwest, specifically Oregon. And why why shouldn't it be? You know, those people will naturally, when you're playing in front of family and friends, you're going to play a little bit harder. You're, you're not going to, on your days where you're a little slow, you can't look up there and not see your family. You're going to see them every day. And Uh, we're going to need to recruit the kid that's going to be held accountable by his family every day that he's on that field and it helps when they're in the stands
2: thanks for joining us on the mighty oregon podcast presented by pepsi a production of sport and story and learfield img college you can support this podcast by going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review the Mighty Organ Podcast presented by Pepsi. I'm Rob Mosley, your host. The Mighty Organ Podcast presented by Pepsi is produced by Andy Boggs. Episodes are mixed, engineered, and edited by Sawyer Radler and James Youngblood. Our production assistants are Emery Kincaid and Evan Eccleston. The music for the Mighty Organ Podcast presented by Pepsi is composed by Sweet 25. Our supervising producers are Bart Pullman and Kelly Shukart. The executive producer of Sport & Story is Bo Mattingly. Special thanks to Mark Wazakowski, CBS, NBC, the NCAA, Pac-12 Networks, and Purdue University. Come back and join us next week for another episode of the Mighty Organ Podcast, presented by Pepsi.